Hey, Merry Christmas, and welcome to another Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, December 19, 2021, and we are getting close to the end of our season and the end of our series. And this Sunday, the message is entitled, The World Wakes Up to the Messiah. May God bless you as you listen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Andrew, and this is my wife, Amy, and today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. The angels held an extremely important role as they carried the miraculous message of the coming Messiah. An angel appeared to Elizabeth, Zachariah, Mary, Joseph, and a host of angels appeared to the shepherds. Luke 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Angels are God's messengers. The angels that appeared to the shepherds spoke of peace. Through the Messiah's life, death, and resurrection, we can be forgiven and have peace with God. You and I may not be angels, but we can take the message of peace and hope to our families and life networks. Today we light the angel candle and look ahead to celebrating the birth of Jesus, which is just six sleeps away. Let's pray. O God, you are holy and awesome. With all our hearts, we long for the Messiah. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. Please help us to honor you in our celebrations and take the message of peace, hope, and love everywhere we go. Help us to enjoy this season and also multiply disciples everywhere. Amen. Well, as you're getting your stuff all together in the pew there, getting your Bibles out and sermon notes out and everything, uh, guys, why don't you take your finger... And poke whatever lady is near you there in the shoulder and say, hey, pay attention. Come on, I know you're afraid to do that, but it's one of the first times your pastor said it, so you have to do it, right? (laughs) Thank you, Ross. (laughs) Awesome. I don't know if you've ever been accused of uh, not being attentive or observant, uh, but I think most guys would probably, if you're a married guy, if you're a married guy, what guy hasn't had one of their wives, one of their wives, has had their wives say to them, so do you notice anything different about me? And stand there like they, it should be obvious, right? No. Uh, uh, how many students are, are among us here? Let's see, some students still? A few of you? Yeah, great. Have you ever gone to class and discovered that you have arrived and there was an assignment due that you knew nothing about or forgot about, one of the two? Have you ever read a whole chapter of a book, come to the end of it and go, what did I just read? Have you ever been driven from point A to, have you ever driven from point A to point B and wondered how you got there because you don't remember any of the journey in between? You ever had that? I've done that before. Have you ever been watching a movie and it seems real familiar, but you can't remember if you've ever really seen it before? Have you ever gone from one end of the house blaming your spouse for moving your keys or your phone only to realize that you were the one that misplaced them and it's in the place where you left it? All of those moments are pretty common to all of us. And apparently, there are really only a few scientific reasons for that happening. And there, there are certain conditions within our brain. The first is transience. Uh, the normal decreasing of our ability to access memory over time. And that's just a normal decline in a degree of norm- normalcy when you age, of course. 
but severe decreasing can occur whenever there is disease or damage to the hippocampus or the, or the temporal lobe. Uh, but probably more normally is non-transferable attention, otherwise known as blanking or zoning out or spacing out. Have you ever done that? Becoming so intensely at- intent- attentive to a certain object or task that you obviously are not paying attention to anything that's around you. Everything else seems to kind of blur. Surprising, another one is surprise distractions where the unexpected happens. An unexpected distraction takes place and your attention is taken away from you for a moment even and it's something that you you give your attention to otherwise. But apparently there are certain habits that you and I can learn to increase our attentiveness in everyday life as well as in the workspace. If you're a student or a parent or you just want to be less distracted in life, you should read Jim Quick's book called Limitless. Fantastic book. But suffice it to say, all of us have experienced a lack of attentiveness throughout our days. And not just with regard to things like losing keys or, or forgetting things. Uh, there was a guy at the mall the other day at, at Costco, and he just about lost his kid, and he didn't know what to do with the other one. He was so attentive on the other one, he left the other one over by the clothes aisles. But suffice it to say that we all have those experiences where we lose attention throughout our day. Here's a for instance. We are 19 days into the Christmas season now. How attentive have you been to Jesus in those days. Other than you going to church and, and catching this or catching the service online, have you done anything for Jesus or with Jesus in anticipation for his birthday? I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I was probably more attentive when I was younger. I think maybe it's because there were less things competing for my attention than when I was younger. For sure, there were no cell phones or, or social media. And in fact, cell phones didn't, only had a little tiny screen on them that showed the number. And eventually, if you had enough money, you could get one that showed who you were calling and who was calling. But that's it. So there was no social media or video games to distract us through the day, especially in the early morning or at night. Yes, there was television. And that certainly was a distraction for me in my younger days. But there weren't as many channels back then. And even now, we didn't, they, they didn't, we didn't have streaming services back then so that we could watch anything we wanted at any time and not miss anything. We all did more, I think, in community with others, didn't we? And we all had more people into our homes. And we were less tired. Whatever the challenges and the changes to society, the struggle for attention is an increasing struggle out there. Everyone wants Not just a piece of your attention, but every bit of your attention throughout the day. And social media is paying big bucks to gain that attention. Today, I want you to drag yourself back in time, your attention back in time, to a time where there weren't as many distractions that we face today, to see a group of people that got the attention in a specific way from God. So so turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The scripture says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what, what, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pause to pray. In obedience to the word of the Lord, Joseph gave the name Jesus to the Son of God. Lord, as we read that today, we become very conscious of the fact that we say Jesus' name all the time. And, Lord, behind that name, there is a lot of history. There is a lot of prophetic momentum. There is a lot of prophetic fulfillment. There is a lot of of history for us, but future for the time in which Joseph lived. Help us, Lord, to bridge the gap between that year of Jesus' birth to now. And help us, Lord, learn to appreciate from this word today what it is that you want for us to know so that, Lord, we can give more attention to Jesus and know him more by name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that's the Christmas story that you and I are all pretty familiar with. But if you were paying attention... That's not how the story began. If you're familiar with at all with the Bible, you know that there are two testaments. There is the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is the beginning of the, at the New Testament, four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These Gospels are the story of the life of Jesus. And Matthew, the first Gospel, starts with a genealogy. Normally, people breeze by this genealogy because it seems a little... Boring. (laughs) Let's put it that way. But this is our first lesson for today that we need to take note of. Number one. Number one, pay attention to what others overlooked at Christmas. Pay attention to what others overlooked at Christmas. Let's read that genealogy, shall we? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome. Jerome, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, his brother at the time of the exile to Babylon, and his brothers at the time of the exile. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Ilkaim, Ilkaim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihu, uh, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I know a little laborious to read, right? Especially if you're trying to get those names right. But that's why we don't really pay attention to it. But doing so, we overlook some very important stuff. Verse 17 wraps it up for us. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Matthew, who before he was a disciple of Jesus, was a Jewish man uh, employed by the Romans to collect taxes from his countrymen. In other words, he wasn't a very well-liked man. But he was an educated man, an accomplished man. And he was a, a man that gave attention to details every day of his life. And he starts this history of Jesus noting that. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is making a case for Jesus being the Messiah, for being entitled to that position and title. Messiah is the Hebrew word that we translate into Greek, the the Christ, which means the anointed one. Christ is not Jesus's last name, in case you didn't know. He, he He isn't called Jesus Christ. He is Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. It's his title. What's special according to this overlooked genealogy is that Jesus can trace his lineage through King David and then back through to Abraham. Why Abraham? Why is it important to go that far back? Because Abraham is considered the father of the Jewish faith. It was God's promise that through the offspring of Abraham that God would bless and save all the nations of the world. This is the beginning of the Jewish anticipation of God's Messiah and the work that he would achieve. Likewise, Jesus was also the son of David, the beloved king of Israel. But what also stands out here are the 14 generations from David to the exile and the 14 generations from the exile to Jesus. 28 generations that account for Israel's rebellion. Some of the darkest days in their history. 28 generations where, though Israel was unfaithful to the Lord, the Lord had not forgotten his promise to Abraham and his offspring. And in those 28 generations, God maintained a remnant through it all. A people who kept the hope of a coming promised Messiah alive. And every character in Matthew's genealogy serves kind of like a funnel, narrowing down history, but also narrowing down the identity of God's coming Messiah. Until Jesus is clearly seen as a culmination of the entire Old Testament prophetic narrative about Messiah. The history of the Old Testament is so clear 
Israel should not have missed his arrival. When Jesus showed up, they should have connected the the genealogical dots along the way through history and prophecy. But as John 1 says, though the true light that gives light to the world, to everyone, was coming into the world while he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, that is the Jews, but his own did not receive him. Israel was his own people. Jesus was a Jew. Not, not, because, not just because Messiah was born a Jew, though, but because since Abraham, they were the chosen people. The people of the covenant blessing of God to the nations. They should have recognized his arrival. But by John's gospel, and still today, they did not and do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Verse 12. Yet to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent nor a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That is the promise to Abraham and his offspring that out of him and them would come a blessing to the nations. And that blessing would result in salvation. And that blessing is Jesus, the Savior of the world, not just for the Jews, but for all of us, for all time. And unless you're paying attention, if you just kind of skip over this genealogy in Matthew 1, you will overlook 42 generations of Israelites. That's around 2,000 years of Israeli history. But you will also have overlooked 2,000 years of messianic anticipation in every book of the Old Testament Bible chronicling these expectations and these characters that are written there. It's quite a phenomenal piece of the literature, and it should not be overlooked. You know what's even more astonishing, though, than Israel overlooking his arrival? To me, it's that those who should not have recognized his coming, they were the ones who did. And according to the scriptures, it disturbed them. So this is our second point. Don't be disturbed by the intrusion of Christmas. Don't be disturbed by the intrusion of Christmas. Turn to Matthew 2, look at verse 1 to 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You may not think that Christmas is an intrusion to you and you're really not all that disturbed by it. But many people are, even today. To some, Christmas is a time that brings back sad or bad memories. My dad went into the hospital over Christmas 40 years ago this year, and he didn't come out. For some, Christmas is being forced to see family that we don't get along with. For others, there is the burden of an overbooked calendar. And the stress of trying to find just the right gift for the person who has everything. 
Christmas today is so much more involved than it was when it first happened, isn't it? Yet it still disturbs a lot of people today, just as it did then. Look at Matthew 2, verses 1 to 8. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, may, so that I too may go and worship him. I find it very interesting that those who were most intent on meeting the Messiah were some Gentile, that is, non-Israelite, non-Jewish, non-chosen people, like the Magi, as well as the wicked King Herod and also the citizens of Jerusalem. Verse 2 to 3, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star. Verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Of course, the Magi were curious because, well, they saw a new astronomical event take place with a a particular star or a conjunction of planets that guided them to Jerusalem. And they assumed that Herod and all Jerusalem would be worshiping this new king when they came to join the festivities. But Herod knew nothing about it. Verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? King Herod, of course, became threatened by that. And of course... He didn't want to worship him like the text says. He wanted to murder him. And then there's Jerusalem. I often wonder why all Jerusalem was disturbed with Herod. The word for disturbed literally means moved to panic. It's the same Greek word that is used in Matthew 14, 26, tereso. When when the disciples saw, you remember when the disciples saw Jesus walking out on the lake? It says they were tereso, they were terrified. Because they, saw, they thought they saw a ghost and they cried out in fear. What about Jesus' arrival could move Jewish people who were already eagerly anticipating Messiah to move, be moved to such panic and fear? Perhaps they were ready for him, but not. Kind of like today, you know. Who of us is not ready and and eager for the second coming of Jesus to this world, right? Just not yet. There's things that we have invested in. There are family we want to enjoy yet. I've got two new grandbabies I want to, to cuddle and hold and see grow up. Projects that we have on the go. Goals we have yet to achieve. So yes, come Lord Jesus. Just not yet. Perhaps it was the same for Jerusalem. Perhaps, except they were told that Messiah was already here. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. They were just told that Messiah is here. 
But if that's true, that means that they needed to prepare themselves. For what? For war. Because when Messiah came, he was supposed to deliver his chosen people from all their enemies and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Well, that meant that their husbands and sons would have to stand with Messiah against the scariest superpower that ever ruled the planet. Even more terrifying than the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians during those 28 generations of their exile recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. So yeah, they were a bit disturbed. Excited, but terrified. Or maybe maybe it was a different feel in Jerusalem. Maybe Israel had kind of slumped so far away from Yahweh, their God, that their hearts were still not wanting and ready for a king, a new king of the Jews. Remember that since Abraham, Israel was not supposed to have a king like their neighbors had. God was supposed to be their king. But because they wanted a king like their neighbors had, they wanted everything their neighbors had, they rejected Yahweh's lordship and his commands. We want a king. And who did they get? Saul. Kind of like that cycle of idolatry that Judges 21-25 describes where it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think maybe that might have been the mood in Israel or in Jerusalem. Certainly Jerusalem didn't accept King Herod as their king, even though on his father's side, he was an Idumean Jew and he was the Roman king of Judea. But maybe Jerusalem was panicked because they really didn't want, they weren't ready for Messiah to be their king yet. Maybe they were still wanting to do what was right in their own eyes and not have to follow a new king. And that maybe threatened them and that's maybe why they were moved to fear. Maybe Christmas is a season you really want to enjoy. You love Jesus and you know it's important that that you honor him at this time of year. But there's other things that busy you and burden you so much that you really aren't paying attention. You're really not that excited about the intrusion that Christmas brings. Or maybe, maybe getting intentional about Christmas means getting more intentional about your faith. And maybe that's not what you're ready for. Here's the thought. Perhaps Christmas is meant to be an unexpected intrusion. Have you thought of that before? Maybe Christmas is meant to be an unexpected intrusion. Maybe it's, a poor, maybe it's supposed to force a break in your busy, burdensome, self-centered life so that you are forced to recognize him. So that you are forced to prioritize what is really important, the worship of Jesus. So maybe it is meant to be a disruption. So I want to encourage you, don't get disturbed by the intrusion of Christmas. Get worshiping. Get worshiping. Set your heart to worshiping Jesus at this season. And watch other things either fade away into the woodwork because you're paying attention to Jesus 
or change the purpose and the priority of them. Watch the intrusion turn into an infusion of devotion. Number three, don't let the familiarity of Christmas breed contempt for Christmas. You've probably heard that old saying before. That's from Aesop, by the way, Aesop's fables. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's a warning that if you're familiar with something or someone, if you're not paying attention, you could end up taking it or them for granted and even begin to despise them. This happens actually a lot in marriages. You become comfortable with each other and you run the risk of becoming bored with each other and then you become dissatisfied. And it's then that you begin to stop caring. That can happen with Christmas too. And if it happens with Christmas, it means that in some ways we've stopped caring for Jesus as well. Nazareth is where it all began, sort of. (laughs) This This is the village where the Holy Family first heard the news of the angel. And as the due date got closer, the Romans enforced a census to ensure that they could fully tax their subjects, their citizens. So off they go to Bethlehem. Because that was Joseph's ancestral home, if you remember the genealogy. Remember, from the genealogy that we just, just, that most people usually overlook, Joseph was a son of David. And it was prophesied that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which is also called the town or the house of David. So that's a big trip for a nine-month pregnant woman. But then after the birth of Jesus, they hear from another angel that Herod and all Jerusalem were disturbed because of their son. And so the scripture says that they went back to their country, that is Nazareth. So that's another trip. And then there's Jesus' dedication at the temple in Jerusalem. That's another trip. Then, as Luke 2, 39 says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything uh, that was required by the law of the Lord, everything in Jerusalem, 40 days after the birth, it was sort of the time it all had to, be, it had to be done, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So that's another trip. And then another angel visit, and they are warned to flee Egypt because Herod has in mind to kill the child king. That's another trip. Good thing women have babies young, right? You can travel a lot. One of those, this is also prophesied in the Old Testament. But then after Herod dies, they return to Nazareth again. That's another long trip. Nazareth was home after all, which was also prophesied, but Nazareth was it never really warmed up to Jesus, at least to who he really was. Matthew 13, if you'll turn with me there. Matthew 13, we have this accounting. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And then they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So this is like 
30-ish years from the birth. After Jesus starts his earthly ministry, he spends a bit of time first in Capernaum, then around the Sea of Galilee, and then he returns to Nazareth to declare himself the anointed Messiah. Verse 57 says that his family and his neighbors in Nazareth, people he grew up with, people that should have known him most, took offense at him. In fact, you read a little bit later, it says they ran him out of town. Saying, isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, he's no better than us. Who is he to tell us that he's the chosen one? You know, you can see Herod rejecting Jesus' messiahship. You can understand why the city of Jerusalem uh, was disturbed by his arrival. But Nazareth? Why should they take offense at him? He grew up there. We celebrate Christmas year after year. You probably have the same routines around the house, the same decorations, maybe the same Christmas tree dragged out of the basement. The same traditions, the same mad rush of presents and parties. It's familiar. And even though there's something a little nice about that familiarity, it's maybe a little too familiar. Maybe you're bored with it. Maybe you've become... You've started to despise it a bit and can't wait for Boxing Day. To me, Christmas feels a bit like a mad rush to the finish line this year. We've had so much happen in our family and extended family from COVID and births and showers and weddings, funerals and broken hips and legs, caring for uh, a hospitalized parent long distance and floods in B.C. And now there's Christmas and scheduling, and traveling, and more traveling, etc. Honestly, some parts of me are eager for the new year. If you're tempted like me, if you're you're like me at this Christmas, you might be tempted to overlook Christmas and feel like it's just another intrusion, and maybe you might even get a little disturbed by it. But we're Christian people, right? And we know that Christmas is a big deal, to people of faith, to our faith. It marks the beginning, in a way, of so much. So what can we do? We can't stop life. Life is going to just do what life does. Life goes on, and it doesn't care about our feelings or our schedules. So life isn't the problem. The problem, and I'll tell you in a minute, the solution lies with us. Look what Jesus said to the people of his hometown, Matthew 13, 57 to 58. It says they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Did you hear that? Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Go back 2,000 years to the pivot point of history between B.C. and A.D., between Old Testament and New Testament, when Jesus was born. The world did not wake up to the Messiah either, to who he was. Most of the world knew nothing about his birth. The Jews didn't wake up to the Messiah, remember? He came to that which was his own, his Jewish, the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. Herod didn't wake up to the Messiah. He wanted to murder him. The, the, the people in Nazareth didn't wake up to Messiah either. They ran him out of town and they were offended by him. And 
because he commanded their honor. But what about us? We who know the fuller story of Jesus and why he came, right? We have this Bible record of Jesus' life and birth. We who ask Jesus into our hearts, we get it, don't we? We get Christmas. We who are the home of the indwelling Christ, we should understand, right? Will we let Jesus be without honor this Christmas time? The solution to what Christmas lacks lies with us. Will we choose to honor him? Because notice the consequences, verse 57. Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Perhaps our Christmas, if your Christmas has been like mine, has not been all that miraculous this year. Maybe it's because we too have failed to behold Jesus and honor him as we should. Jesus is the incarnate son of the living God. He is the savior of the whole world. His arrival 2,000 years ago while the, while the world slept was the great pivot point of history. And one day it was for you too when you recognized who he was and gave your loyalty and your life to him. Without him, we would not know the heart of God for humanity. Without him, we would not know why and who the Father is. Without him, we would not have someone to mediate between us and the Father, someone who knows what life is like as a human being, the struggles of life and the temptations that we face every day. Without him, we would still be in our sins. See, it's all about being attentive to what's most important in life. And I think Christmas says it all. It's Jesus. Right? It's Jesus. And if we overlook him, we'll fail to honor him. And if we fail to honor him, we will not worship him as he deserves at Christmas. And maybe even throughout the year. It sets the pace. And if we fail to honor him, we will miss the miracles that he has waiting for us at Christmas. So how can we pay more attention? A couple of things. Number one, limit social media consumption and turn off notifications on your devices. Uh, Now he's meddling, right? Limit social media and TV watching this Christmas. Jim Quick, I mentioned his book earlier, Limitless. You should read that book. It's fantastic. He says that constant engagement with our technology and apps destroys attentiveness. And he tells you why in the book. You got to know that already. Just check check your screen time on your phones to see how much time you are wasting there. Did you know that the first thing that most people do when they wake up is they check their phones for the notifications that they miss during the night? And usually that phone is right beside the bed. And then they'll endlessly scroll through Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok or whatever the latest apps are as they're getting ready for their day. And oh, I should have done my Bible reading and prayer this morning. Oh well, I'll catch it tonight. And if they have the day off, guess what they're doing? Scrolling while they're having their coffee. 
Parents, if you have kids and they have cell phones, set some rules for their use this Christmas. Experts tell us that they're destroying their attentiveness, their creativity, and actually their ability to communicate, study, and even read a book. When was the last time you read a book? You limit your screen time, and you will have more time to pay attention to Christmas, but especially more time to honor and worship Jesus. Second, just read your Bible more. Read your Bible more. Again, screen time wrecks Bible reading. And I'll make another plug for this. I'm a firm believer that you should have and read a paper Bible. I know there's multiple Bibles on our, on our phones and tablets. And some people may disagree with me. But I know that they're wrong. No, I know... I know that when I'm, I'm reading other books on my Kindle app on my iPad, the only way that I can actually honestly get through a chapter is if I shut off notifications to other things. Even then, I'm tempted to go, oh, well, that sparked an idea. Maybe I should look at Facebook or, or see what's happening here or search something on the Internet. So if your Bible is your phone or tablet, you're probably being distracted away from actually reading your Bible and not being attentive to it more than you think you are. A paper Bible solves that problem. But regard, And we spend so much money on these. Why not use these for our real Bibles? And you can highlight this and do everything else. But regardless, if you want to be more attentive to Jesus ever, then just... More than even just at Christmas, honor him with reading your Bible more. Getting into God's word, it is his his word to you. And you will worship him better and more. I've made up some Bible reading plans that I've put at the usher stations by the door that you can get on your way out. It's It's basically the last, we're down to the last five days of Christmas here, right? They're at the doors if you want them, and basically what they are is a journey through the, new te- the, the scriptures at the beginning of the Gospels. Just to bring you to Christmas, to get your face in the book. So, you would help your attentiveness to Jesus this Christmas, which would then increase your worship and honor of him, if you would limit your social media consumption, turn off notifications, and turn off the TV. And also, by reading your Bible more, Friends, I pray Jesus is able to do many, many miracles for you this Christmas. More than you ever expected him to be able to do. Because of an increase of your faith this Christmas. And your honor of him at this time of year. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing how? By the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who is your word to us. He reveals you to us. He shows us what you are like. How could we ever get bored of that? So Lord, this Christmas, I pray that me and my friends here, my friends online, would all give more attention to him this Christmas. That as we read our Bibles more and we spend less time with things that distract and more time with you, that, Lord, we would be aroused to see the hand of God at work around us. 
and the miraculous would then take place. Lord, we receive already these miraculous things as we obey your word today. May it be to us, may your word be to us our living bread today. In Jesus' name.